Ah, the choices we make. Hey, welcome. It's another look into the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot, who called us to live to a higher standard each day, to not be satisfied with just a little empty religion in life. As this series continues in the coming weeks, we'll hear from folks who were influenced by Elizabeth's life and message. Hopefully you're one of those. Hey, good to have you with us. Well, today we begin a five-part seminar series on the highest form of service. Yes, we think about the choices that we make and about how things shouldn't surprise us, but they do. And choosing to obey, also our topic today. Joining us will be veteran missionary Frank Kohlinger, who talks about his uh, time with the Alka Indians that Elizabeth lived with for those two years. And we'll hear about the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation and some of the things going on with it. First, though, let's get to part one of The Highest Form of Service, our seminar series. Elizabeth tells us about a memorable and important time in her life, and especially a certain verse that was important in the early days of her ministry in Ecuador with the Colorado Indians. She'll tell us about a bilingual helper, a co-worker of hers, about rejoicing even in sufferings, about not being surprised. I want to read a verse which has been very meaningful to me all my life, but particularly memorable when I was a very young missionary in my first year in the jungle of the western part of Ecuador. I was working with a small tribe of Indians called the Colorados, and God had answered my prayers most wonderfully in sending me to that country and then sending me to that tribe and giving me the privilege of working with a Christian man by the name of Macadio who was far better qualified than I had ever imagined anyone would be. He turned out to be a speaker of both Spanish and Colorado. Well, Macario had grown up, although he was of white Ecuadorian background, he grew up on an hacienda where there were Colorado Indians. And so he was completely bilingual, a wonderfully qualified helper for me as I sought to reduce the Colorado language to writing, which had never been done before. And I was in my room one day, one morning, reading early in the morning from 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 13. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Do not be surprised. Try to keep those simple words in mind and be done with sin and with sinful reactions and miserable responses to what God allows. If we are going to learn to accept what God sends and not to be surprised, this is going to require a radical change in attitude. And I always find that my radio mail furnishes me with far more illustrations than I can ever possibly use, but I brought along just a few of them this morning 
The first one from a woman who says, I am frustrated and I am restless and I am discontented with life. I am a 53-year-old woman. I have a disability. She goes on to describe her grown children, her son, the fact that she has an empty nest. Uh, and she says, I feel so worthless, and tells me about her illness. I am tired of having to make the decisions and feeling responsible for everything. Also, he has never been the spiritual head of the house. And so we begin to see that this woman is putting a good bit of the blame for her own discontent on this miserable man that she has to live with. Um, we don't have the closeness that we should, and I couldn't tell you how many letters I get about that. Uh, he doesn't want to discuss things. He watches, you guessed it, TV. I hear lots of women, lots of women write to me, what can I do to get my husband quit watching TV? And I say, shut up and have a gentle and quiet spirit and do your praying. All my life, I have wanted to discover what I can do to feel fulfilled. I suffer from depression and sit and do nothing. Well, this woman obviously is in deep need. She's asking me to give her a reason to get out of bed. And I'm pretty well convinced over the years of reading thousands of letters that it would be very unusual for anyone to go into real depression unless there were bitterness somewhere in their lives. I really believe with all my heart that the primary cause of depression, and I don't, do not stand here as a doctor or a psychiatrist or anything, it's just simple observation. The cause is generally bitterness. It can be bitterness against a person, usually ends up being bitterness against God. This verse shows us that we have to have a radical change in attitude. It's perfectly natural for us to be surprised and shocked and upset when things happen in our lives, isn't it? It's perfectly natural. But God is asking us to obey him. He gives us a clear, specific command. Do not be surprised at this thing which has happened, this painful trial, whatever it is. And as someone has already mentioned this morning, there are undoubtedly some hurting people out there. My guess is there are undoubtedly extremely few people out there who are not hurting in some way. And you may be hurting in a way that may seem so trivial that you would be embarrassed to even mention it to anybody but it's something that upsets you there. And we are told, do not be surprised, as though something strange were happening to you. Do you feel as though your case is unusual? Do you feel as though the scripture verses that deal with suffering don't really apply to your case? That, of course, is the reason why so many people write to me, because I have given out a scripture, or I've talked on a certain subject, and they write to me, with pages proving to me that their case is different. It's totally different from anything I've ever heard before, and the answers that I've given on the radio are not adequate. Well, let me read you a very different kind of a letter. 
Dear Elizabeth, your words sting deep and sometimes strike chords that mortally wound. I can't remember the exact program because only one thought registered and burned like fire, which is what it was, God's fire. It was that. Love is a daily choice, and God placed you in that marriage with that man for a purpose, and you are to love him. Well, when I heard this, which was about 14 months ago, I was ready to leave my husband of 22 years. We weren't cheating on each other. He doesn't drink or beat me. So why was I ready to leave? I'm not exactly sure, but I know when I heard your message, I knew you were dead wrong, <laughs> at least in my case. To make a long story short, yours was just the first message I heard that said the same thing. The Lord spoke and softened my heart and showed me what a blessing my man is. Has he changed? No. He's still the same non-believer and he swears, etc., etc. But I choose to love him every day. That's okay. I still struggle to obey him. And as is normal, my coworkers don't understand this at all. Not only did your program help me, but shortly after I had resolved my shortcomings, the Lord brought a cousin to me for material help and I shared with him what I had been through. I explained how the Lord had worked in my life and that he needed to get on his knees. I then prayed for them and he and his wife are still together. Thank you for those fiery words. Continue to speak them. God uses them mightily. So many of your truths are so contrary to the way society tells us to live, and especially our younger women need to hear this. If you ever have a chance to do a program or series on unequally yoked, please do so sometimes. Well, I think I've done quite a few on those. But what a difference in those two letters. Here's a woman who is choosing to be miserable and another woman who is choosing to be obedient to God. And you know the old hymn that says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. And of course I'm aware that these are fiery words. Do not be surprised. How am I supposed to not be surprised? Well, in the strength of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. What kind of an attitude is yours? How would you describe your attitude toward whatever the thing is this morning which is bothering you or has been bothering you or is about to bother you and so you're scared to death and you're filled with forebodings and fears about what's going to happen tomorrow or next week. Whatever it is, remember that God is saying to you, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. And as I was reading that passage in my jungle home in the western jungle of Ecuador on that particular morning in 1952, I suddenly heard gunshots. Now there was nothing unusual about gunshots because the white people who lived in the clearing where I lived hunted with guns and the Indians who lived back in the forest surrounding us, they also hunted with white man's guns. So we heard gunshots every day, but these were followed by people screaming, horses galloping, general pandemonium in the clearing. And I went outside to find out that my 
informant, this wonderful Christian man who had been helping me with the language, had just been murdered. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial or at the painful trial you were suffering as though something strange were happening. It certainly seemed strange to me that God would allow the one and only man in the whole world, literally the only man in the world that spoke both Spanish and Colorado. And of course I spoke Spanish by that time because it's the national language of Ecuador. And so I could communicate with this man bilingually. There wasn't anybody else in the world with whom I could communicate bilingually, which meant that the task of reducing that Indian language to writing was enormously more difficult. Now, why does God allow this thing to happen? It's the same answer for me back then in 1952 and for you this morning. You participate in the sufferings of Christ. The Highest Form of Service, our seminar series, part one of a five-part uh, look at that. Don't Be Surprised is the title of today's message. Coming later, Choosing to Obey, part two in the series. We'll be hearing more about the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation and the outreach that you're a part of by listening to this uh, time together, this podcast. You've heard about the Alcas, or Wildani people, the ones who killed the five missionaries, including Jim Elliott, but also the ones that Elizabeth loved enough to go and live with, along with Valerie, for two years. Well, veteran missionary Frank Kohlinger talks about his relationship with the Alcas. Well, Frank, you've spent years, decades, working and living in Ecuador. What was your experience with the Alca people? I lived at Arajuno, which was the taking off spot with uh, when they flew in the, the land on the beach. That was where Ed McCauley was uh, a missionary, and that was where I went my very first years in Ecuador, right to that place. And uh, I made trips over to the Alcas, walking over, which was walking about four or five uh, hours through the jungle, down the Kuraray River in a canoe, and then into the community at that time. Then later, when my wife and I were married, the first years of our marriage, we lived at the upper Kuraray area. And that was the area that Elizabeth went over to meet those first two Alka women who came out on their own, and she went over to visit with them and uh, learn something about the Alcas, start getting words written down, etc. So uh, we've been close in that sense. And uh, also at the Bible Institute that I teach in, occasionally a couple of the Alka young people come. I've also had some ministry uh, in some of the communities there, going in to visit, teaching the Bible, in either Spanish or Quechua, which have to be, then that was translated into the Alka or Waurani language. And uh, the most recent time in was uh, in 2006, when there was a 50-year uh, anniversary of the uh, the occasion of the, the men being uh, attacked on the Kuraray River. And right there at that area, an area called Doñampari, where there's a settlement of Alcas, they held a conference. And uh, they the Alcas themselves wanted to have something to remember that occasion and be a testimony and that was a, a real blessing. Well, as we're thinking about service today and about suffering, uh, suffering and service are a big part of the life of a missionary, and they're part of our lives too, aren't they? Thank you, Frank. 
Later on, we'll hear about the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation and its outreach and purpose. Right now, though, it's part two of The Highest Form of Service, our seminar series. It's a short series, just five parts. Today's topic, Choosing to Obey. Maybe you think, you know, the suffering of Christ. I really don't know what that has to do with my life. You participate in the sufferings of Christ. I know exactly what you're thinking right now. Well, what I'm talking about doesn't have anything to do with the sufferings of Christ, doesn't it? Doesn't Christ live in you? Christ liveth in me, in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When I suffer, I believe Christ suffers. You remember that when Paul was persecuting the Christians, he was struck down on the road to Damascus, and Jesus spoke to him, and he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, Saul was persecuting Christians, but when Christians suffered, Jesus was suffering. And of course, Paul, Saul, what is his name then, looked up and he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, your particular suffering today, or tiny little trivial thing that's worrying you, is certainly not in a class with the persecution of Christians. But you know, God doesn't give to you and me anything very heroic to do, does he? God is just asking you and me, as ordinary, humdrum, down-to-earth, Sunday through Saturday kind of women, to not be surprised and to realize that this thing, no matter how tiny it might be and how embarrassingly silly, if it is something that bothers you, Jesus is there in you, understanding you, wanting you to turn to him and to trust him for that thing. He actually wants this radical change of attitude, which is don't be angry about it, don't be discouraged, don't be depressed, rejoice. And how are we supposed to do that? Well, how are we supposed to do anything that God commands us to do? In his strength, of course. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my strength and my song. I get many letters asking the question, how shall I deal with? And then they go on for several pages telling me what it is they are dealing with. What can I say? Trust and obey. And you will find the happiness which can only be found in obedience. A radical change in attitude. Some of you may have heard me tell the story of, what, of the lady that I call Mrs. G. Mrs. G came to hear me speak and wrote me a long letter sometime later to tell me that on that particular day, she did not remember anything else that I had said except one little sentence, and that was that we are to treat each other as we would treat the Lord Jesus. And my scripture for that is Matthew 25, 40. Jesus said, Inasmuch as you've done it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you have done it for me. And he's not going to forget. And so 
I think I said in my talk, I specifically said, that means you have to treat your husband, no matter what his failures may be, the way you would treat the Lord Jesus. And Mrs. G went home that day telling herself, that is ridiculous, that is preposterous, it can't possibly be done, but I'm gonna try it. And she and her husband had just before that weekend made up their minds that they'd had enough of each other, more than enough, and they were gonna get a divorce after 33 years. They were both disgusted and fed up with the other one, and they mutually agreed that the only solution was a divorce. And so here's Mrs. G driving her car home, thinking to herself, I'm gonna try this. And she walks into the living room, and her husband is sitting, and she said, on the sofa, like a mummy, looking at the TV. And she said, I can't stand that scene. And she went up to him with a gentle and quiet spirit and said, honey, could I talk to you for a minute? And she said, for the first time in 33 years, he turned off the TV in order to listen. And she said, well, then I didn't know what to say. <laughs> what do you say when you're talking to Jesus? And she's seeing Jesus sitting on that sofa. Well, she said, forgive me. And she started in with a long list, which she had certainly not intended to do at all. She intended to explain to him all the things that he had done wrong, etc. And she was asking her husband's forgiveness. And he interrupted her list. And he said, but honey, he said, you know, I've always loved you, and the only reason that I consented to the divorce was because I thought I was such a nuisance to you. And so they wept and they asked forgiveness of each other. And when she wrote me this letter, it had been four weeks, and she said there has not been one argument in four weeks. She said we never got through a week before without a major argument. Well, you could bet that was one of the letters that I saved and pondered over and after four months called this lady and asked her permission to tell her story. And of course, she gave it to me, and I said, now tell me how it's going now, now that four, four months have gone by. She said, Elizabeth, I love that man as I never dreamed I could love anybody. We have not had one argument. And she said, I didn't tell you how bad I was, because she said, you know, every time that man went out of the house, I would ask the Lord to kill him. Now talk about a radical change in attitude. This was a choice, ladies, and you and I have got to remember that we are given a will. We are created with a will. That is the thing that sets us apart from the tides and the winds and the ladybugs and the hippopotamuses and all the other creations that God has made with the exception of angels. As far as we know, angels and men are the two exceptions. We are given a will to choose. The tides go up and down according to God's direction in perfect obedience, and the winds blow in perfect obedience, and the ladybugs hibernate in perfect obedience. But you and I can choose. Whatever my lot, I will choose to say it is well with my soul. I will not be surprised 
that I had made a mistake and found myself married to a non-Christian, and that, of course, is a big mistake. What can we say to young people who are about to marry someone who's not a Christian and they're, they're constantly arguing, well, he'll become a Christian when we get married. And you and I know that that's a foolish hope. But the fact remains, no matter who it is, we are to treat everyone as we would want to treat Jesus Christ, inasmuch as you have done it to one of the least of these, and I think Jesus might just as well have said one of the worst of these, you have done it for me. And the day will come when you will be called into his kingdom, and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, number two, for you note-takers, a decision to do something. Mrs. G made a conscious, deliberate, voluntary, irrevocable decision. I am going to treat that man the way I would want to treat Jesus Christ, and I am going to pray that God will help me to see in this man, whom I hated, himself to see Jesus. And her decision was to do something about it. Instead of crying about it, writing letters about it, and going and spending a tremendous amount of money to some counselor who will take you through weeks and months, perhaps, of raking up all the awful things that have happened to you, and of course it's all the things that have happened to me that have made me so miserable and so awful to live with. Instead of leaving it, as Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, we are to do something. Now, what is it that Horatio Spafford did when he got a telegram from his wife saying, saved, alone? Well, we're not told the full story of what he did at that point, but we do know what he did when he was in the mid-Atlantic and the captain said it was here that the ship went down. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, and my lot is God's assignment, thou hast taught me to say, not that it's natural, not that it would have ever sprung out of my personality, thou hast taught me to say it is well. Thou hast taught me to say, do not be surprised. In 1 John 3.13, we have another verse. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. Now, what is this world that might be hating you today? I don't think very many of us here would say that we are persecuted in the sense that the world, the whole world hates us. I certainly could not say that. I am so blessed and so loved and so appreciated and so helped, there isn't any way I could imagine being really persecuted, but I do get some nasty letters once in a while. Do not be surprised. And so it's interesting that both Peter and John use identical words. Do not be surprised if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. That is the proof of the validity of your faith if you love others. And who is the most important brother 
that you have to live with day in and day out, if not your husband. Anything that re refers to the brothers certainly applies to our husbands, doesn't it? Choosing to Obey the Highest Form of Service, Part 2, our seminar series. Right now, let's hear a little bit more about the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, the ones bringing you this podcast each week. Mike Cantrell has some information for us on that. He and his wife and daughter live overseas and serve on projects throughout Europe, Africa, and in the U.S. as well. He's the technical media director, managing digital files for the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation podcast, YouTube channel, and website. Well, Mike, uh, tell us about the outreach of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation. I recently noticed that we have posted over 2,200 resources to the Foundation website. A resource is any item that we make freely available to the public through the website and also through other platforms. And these resources, just to give you an idea of the work that the Foundation is involved in, these resources include... 242 lectures. These are her long-form talks, 48 videos, the links to 39 books. She wrote six newsletters each year from 1982 to 2003, and we have all of those newsletters, a total of 127 on the website. We have 149 weekly devotionals, 1,608 Gateway to Joy programs, <laughs> And that's maybe two-thirds of what she produced. We're still processing Gateway to Joy radio programs. Uh, we have over 90 podcast episodes released, both through the podcast feed, and they're also on the website and on the YouTube channel. And, of course, we have numerous photographs and social media posts. We also have about 50,000 subscribers to the YouTube channel, over 5,000 subscribers to our weekly devotional list, and the podcast reaches up to 30,000 people each episode. Over the past year, we've had 1.8 million visits to the website from 200,000 distinct users. And these resources are all available in order to fulfill the role of the foundation, which is to bring all of Elizabeth's and Jim's and their daughter Valerie's work and ministry under one umbrella to serve as an ongoing worldwide outreach and help further the foundation's mission, which is to give hope and suffering restoration in conflict, and joy in obedience to the Lord Jesus. And all of this is through the Elliott family's testimony and legacy of the faithfulness of Christ. That was Mike Cantrell. Thank you, Mike. Well, our time together is coming to an end. Thanks for letting us come into your home, your office, maybe along with you on a jog or a walk, wherever we found you today. On behalf of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, in cooperation with the Bible Broadcasting Network, let me invite you to check out elizabethelliott.org. More talks, devotionals, Gateway to Joy programs, and more. Responding to one of our earlier times together, one listener on Spotify said, I really loved it. It touched my heart and soul. Well, again, thank you for being a part of our time together. And join us at elizabethelliot.org sometime. But until next time, may God remind you each and every day that you're loved with an everlasting love, and underneath are the everlasting arms 